Okay, that was uh, great. I went to this little church, little country church one time, and their choir sang so perfectly that I thought they were lip syncing. And they were not, they were that good. And so that's the same here, this ensemble, that's great. I enjoyed that and it blessed me. Well, it's good to be here. Uh, Ken called me and asked me if I could fill in today, and I jumped at the chance because when I was interim over at uh, Brent, I was there for 13 months, and I fell in love with the people of the Brent Centerville area and this this, uh, whole area, and so I've been jumping at the chance to come back down, and uh, so now's my chance. And I have been uh, here in this church a few times. Uh, when Ken first became pastor here, he called me the first two or three years when he was going on vacation. He had me to fill in. And uh, then uh, uh, we were over here, our church, uh, when I was at Brent, had a joint service, Thanksgiving service, I believe, with you. So uh, anyway, I'm acquainted with Centerville Baptist Church. You are good folks, and I appreciate uh, your inviting me uh, to come I guess last uh, Sunday being the Memorial Day weekend, you had a Memorial Day message and we're thinking along those lines and I was in another church preaching and I had a Memorial Day message and so uh, I'm going to preach that again to you today because I think it's so important and I would like to uh, uh, bring out some things that I think everybody needs to understand. So. First of all, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for everything you do for us. I thank you for people who will give of themselves, use their talent to uh, help us to worship. And I pray that you would always help us to focus on you and give you praise and honor and everything in our life, not just our singing, not just our worship, but every day. And we thank you for this time that we have together meet here in this public place, a lot of places in the world. They cannot do that, but we can. I pray that we'll always have this freedom. And I thank you for those who have uh, made it possible for us to live in a free country. And we thank you for your word. I pray that we'd pay attention to it now and help us to understand it and to build our life around what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. I imagine some of you remember the movie, My Girl. I watched that movie and thoroughly enjoyed it. It's about uh, an 11-year-old girl named Veda, and she had a best friend who was 11 years old, Thomas J. And in one scene, they are uh, sitting under a tree. And they get around to the subject of kissing. And Veda asked Thomas J., have you ever kissed anybody? Thomas J. Said, uh, uh, said, I don't even know how. And so they decide to practice. So they practice on their arms. And they do that for a while. And then they decide to kiss each other. And they do. And then there's this awkward silence. And Veda says, Thomas J., say something. And then more silence. She says, say something now. And Thomas J. stands up and says, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And so they both go throughout the whole pledge. Now, I'm glad I saw that movie and witnessed that scene because there are times when I don't know what to say. 
So I always have something to fall back on now. I can say the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, I do have something to say today. And I want us to think about this question. In light of the great sacrifices that have been made for our freedom, how then should we live? And there's a person 2,000 years ago who answered that question, and I would like for us to look at his answer because I think it's still a pretty good answer today. And it's in Hebrews 11. The writer of Hebrews, some people think it was Paul, others think it was somebody else. We don't really know, but uh, whoever wrote it had some things to say about this. Now, you'll notice that Hebrews, the 11th chapter, is, uh, is about... The, about faith. It's the great faith chapter. And it starts with a definition of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then it uh, goes through a list of people who are great examples of faith. There's Abel, there's Enoch, then there's Noah, there's Abraham, there's Sarah. And we read about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. And you go on and then when you get over to the 32nd verse, he says, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. And so far, you know, everything's on the upbeat and you think about these people who went out and fought these uh, battles and won these great victories and came home to ticker take parades and everything's fine. But then the mood changes here in the middle of verse 35 and he starts it with this word others. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. These are the others. Last Memorial Day, I wrote an article for the Northport Gazette, and I think it's appropriate to uh, read it to you. Little boys playing in the yard grow up to be big boys going off to war. The school bell at the old Northport Elementary School rang, and I headed home, falling in with Donald White as we made our way down the street the short distance to his home on Main Avenue. When we got there, I stayed a while doing what little boys love to do, play and play and play. I forget if the game was cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians or something else. I just remember having a good time with a walk-on buddy. Donald White was a likable and friendly guy. He was a favorite of many of his fellow students and all of his teachers. Being a few grades ahead of Don, I rarely saw him once I moved to high school. Time passed and we grew up both graduating from Tuscaloosa County High School. Then one day I picked up my newspaper only to see that Donald White had lost his life in Vietnam. My mind went back to those days of carefree living when we'd walk home together and play in his front yard. 
Life is filled with things we can't predict and don't understand. As a boy, I remember listening to one of my favorite songs, Que Sera And I guess the reason I liked it so much was because I was asking the same questions as the singer. What will I be? Will I be handsome? Will I be rich? What lies ahead? Will we have rainbows day after day? The answer, Que Sera Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Probably every child has questions of that sort. When you're young, you want to know what kind of life is ahead of you. What will I be like? What will I do for a living? Whom will I marry? How many children will I have? Where will I live? These questions have been answered for me. They were never answered for Donald and the more than 58,000 who went off to Vietnam and never came back. As I said, Don was a congenial fella. He made friends easily. I can only imagine with his personality and abilities what all he could have accomplished. I think those accomplishments would have been considerable. Yes, little boys playing in the yard grow up to be young men going off to war. And those who don't owe a tremendous debt to those who do. Thank you, Donald White for giving your life to fight for your country and secure freedom for people at home and a world away. You did us proud. I will try hard not to squander this precious gift bequeathed to us by such a great sacrifice. And that's the question we're dealing with here. How do we do that? In light of the great sacrifices that have been made for our freedom, how then should we live? And so this author here, after giving us all of these examples of faith and telling us people who went out and came back and then those who went out and did not come back in the light of this tremendous sacrifice, how are we to conduct our lives? And he goes on into chapter 12 and answers that question. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Every once in a while there is a flap over our star-spangled banner being our national anthem. And there are various uh, criticisms of this uh, song. And one of them is that, well, it's too warlike. What we need is a more peaceful hymn to be our national anthem. Well, it is warlike. It was written during war, the War of 1812. And it does talk about that perilous fight and bombs bursting in the air and the rocket's red glare. But you go on and you read where it says, Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. And it doesn't take much insight to realize that the only reason that this is the land of the free is because it is also the home of the brave. In other words, the only reason that we have our freedoms is because... A lot of men and women went out there and they paid the supreme sacrifice so that we could enjoy what we enjoy. And I, for one, want to uh, honor them in uh, the, uh, any way I can. And so not just recognize them at a Memorial Day service, but to, to conduct my life in uh, a certain way all the time. 
so that they will not have died in vain. So what does he say here in these uh, three verses? First of all, living in the light of the great sacrifice that's been made for us, how then should we live? First of all, remember the others. Remember the others. That's what he has done here in the 11th chapter. He has uh, recalled all of these others who have uh, paid such a great price. And I believe we specifically need to remember the others. We need to remember what they did. Some time ago, I opened up a newspaper and I read this article about a family down in Florida who decided to go to the car races for a family outing. And there they were in the stands and their little girl was uh, over here to the side of them playing when all of a sudden a tire came off of one of the race cars and it bounced over the fence and it was heading toward, straight toward that little girl. There was a teenage boy close to her and he saw what was happening and he jumped down there and he pushed her out of the way and he took the full brunt of the tire and it killed him immediately. His mom said, that's the way my son lived his life. He was always thinking of other people, putting other people first. And the family said, we will never, ever forget what he did for us in saving our little girl. And that's it. That's what I'm talking about. Let us never, ever forget all of these sacrifices that have been made for us. But notice he goes on, and we not only need to remember what they did, but also what these others, uh, not only what they did, but what, uh, where they are. He says, seeing that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now I think he's referring to these people that he's mentioned in chapter 11, and he's saying that they are surrounding us. As we go through our life, they are surrounding us and kind of cheerleaders for us and examples for us. Now, certainly they are not surrounding us in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, they are. And so we feed off of that and we realize, okay, somebody's gone down this path before. Somebody has uh, trod a rougher road than I have. And so whatever I'm dealing with, I can manage. I can get through it because of the others. So we need to remember the others. That's the first thing. And then the second thing he, you notice here, he says, Run the race that is set before you. We need to run the race that is set before us. And notice specifically, he tells us how to run this race. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily uh, ensnares us. And so we need to run the race unencumbered. Unencumbered. Now, if you come to our house... And if you come for dinner, I hope you'll call first. But if you come to our house and you come back into the bedroom, you will notice that there is a desk over by the windows. And on top of that desk is a laptop computer, which uh, we hardly ever use. Uh, and that's the reason that you will also see books stacked on top of that computer. And to the side of that computer, there's another stack of books. And then on the floor next to that desk, there's another stack of books. It is an ugly sight. And here's what happens. I will go up to our study, and I'll pull out a book that I want to read. And I'll carry it back down to the, uh, st to the bedroom and sit in that easy chair next to the desk. And I'll read a while, and then I'll not carry it back up. But I think, well, I may read some more in this. Or I have not finished this, so I will stack it over there on the desk. 
And then the next time I'm up there in the study, I'll pull another one off of the shelf, and I will do the same thing until I've got a big uh, stack of books all over the place. And then after a while, I'll get to feeling so guilty about that, and I don't like that ugly-looking mess, and so I will uh, box these books up and carry them back up to the study and reshelve them. And I'll come back down and I'll say, my, that is a clean side over there. And my wife will come in and say, my, that's a clean side over there. And that's why we get along because I clean that up every once in a while. But uh, something like that happens to us spiritually because our sins are like those books. They keep stacking up. And so every once in a while we need a cleansing And the Bible tells us what to do about that. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confession is the way to do that. And I remember reading about Dr. W.A. Criswell, who was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas for many years. And when he first arrived in Dallas, he had them to build an altar around the pulpit. And he started every service with an altar call. Now we have an altar call at the end of the service. He had one at the beginning and the end. And he called on people to come and to lay their burdens down before the Lord and to get right with God and to confess their sins. And it makes sense because how can you worship? How can you really enter into worship if you're not cleansed of your sins? So maybe every church ought to start doing that, having a time of cleansing Uh, before the service starts and so that's what we need to do in running this race we do not need to be bogged down with all of these sins a heavy weight of sins carrying that load around and and the guilt that comes with that what we need to do is have a refreshing a cleansing and so just come clean with God every once in a while so run the race unencumbered but notice also he says let us run the race with patient endurance With endurance, patient endurance is what it means. And so we need to be determined in running the race. Maybe you've heard the saying, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Which I suppose lets us know that it's not really how fast you run, but it's how determined you are. And so, you know, some of us can't run it very fast. I can't run it as fast as I used to. But I'm talking about living our life. That's uh, running a race was a metaphor for living your life. It shows up uh, quite often in the scriptures in that sense. And so uh, what we're talking about is being determined as you run this race, being determined to do what you need to do, what God wants you to do, and give Him 100%. Be determined. So here we are living in the light of this uh, great sacrifice that has been made for us. And we remember the others and we run the race. And then I get into verse 2 and he says, Looking unto Jesus, and and we consider Jesus in verse 3. And so I got to thinking about uh, what, uh, how can I put this? Now, I dig out my own sermons and I I don't like to use anybody else's or go on the internet or whatever. I just dig out my own sermons. And I put down that outline. And so I look for ways to make it easy for me to remember, because I've got to get up there and preach that to these people, and easy for the people who listen. And so I use some alliteration, and notice I've gone with the R's. We remember the others, and we run the race, and then I came up with this. We rally around Jesus. 
rally around Jesus. I went to a youth meeting one time, and the evangelist got up, and he said, Give me a J. And all of us said, J, give me an E. We said, E, give me an S. Give me a U. Give me another S. What do you got? Jesus. Who are we here to worship? Jesus. Who died on the cross to save us of our sins? Jesus. Who's coming back for us one day? Jesus. Boy, we were really pumped up. Now, that's not the kind of rally I'm talking about. Maybe that's okay to have that kind of rally every once in a while. But I'm talking about rallying around Jesus, making Jesus the center of your life. And if you do that, one thing that that involves is looking to Jesus, looking unto Jesus. Now, looking unto Jesus or looking unto anyone means that you are depending on that person. If you tell someone, I'm looking to you, I'm looking to you in this job that we got, this project that we have, I'm looking to you, that means I'm depending on you to do your job. I remember as a teenager there, we were on the vacant lot right across the street from my house. In our neighborhood, we had a bunch of boys in our neighborhood, and our neighborhood was playing the neighborhood from down the hill. And we were there, and the score was tied, and so we'd been playing for quite some time, and we decided that uh, the next team that scored would win. And so we got in a huddle, and James, our quarterback, looked at me, and he said, Billy, I want you to go out here. I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you. I knew exactly what he meant. He's depending on me. And I'm looking to you, and you go out here, and when you're in the clear, I'm going to throw you that pass if, if you get in the clear. And so uh, we snapped the ball, and I went out, and I did get in the clear, and he threw that pass right to me, and I'm not going to tell you how it turned out because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But anyway, he was looking to me, and that's what we've got to do we got to look to Jesus. Why? He tells us because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who thought it up. He's the one who started it. He's the one who died on the cross to make it possible for us to have faith and to have eternal life and all of, all of the benefits of believing in him and being what we call a Christian. So he's the author of that and he's the finisher of it, which means one day he's coming back and he's going to bring this world to a climax and then take us home to be with him forever and ever. So that's who Jesus is. Why would we not look to him? Why would we not depend on him? That's rallying around Jesus. That's making him the center of your life. But then notice, I see some bad stuff here. Oh, yeah. You see the cross. It says he endured the cross. He despised the shame, the cross and the shame. The cross was awful. It was awful. Now, sometimes maybe we don't realize that, but uh, if you saw that movie, The Passion of Christ, Bill Gibson's movie, that, I guess that was the most graphic presentation of the crucifixion of any movie I had ever seen. And it made you feel like you were right there and you saw all that Jesus went through and it was awful and terrible and people came out of that theater the only movie I ever saw when we left nobody said a word because we were so moved we were so touched here is this Jesus who did all of this for us and all we wanted to do is just go out silently and say thank you Jesus thank you so much for dying on the cross for my sins and the, and the cross was a curse back then. The Old Testament said, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And so Jesus took all of that abuse and that curse and he went to the cross and he died for our sins. And it was a shameful thing. So there's the cross here, but he endured it. There's a shame here, but he despised it. He overcame that. But, the, but I see that bad stuff, but I see this good 
stuff. This good word here. It says, who for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. And I think, how in the world did Jesus experience joy going through the crucifixion, going through that shameful ordeal? How did he do it? And the only thing I can think of is he knew in dying on the cross for our sins, he was doing what he was sent to this planet to do. This was part of God's plan and our eternal salvation depended on his doing that. And so he was doing the thing that would benefit so many millions of people down through the centuries. And it gave him joy. So we need to ourselves live for God's purpose. Live for God's purpose. That's what Jesus was doing and living for the Father's purpose. And then verse uh, 3 says that... uh, uh, he, want, he wants you to think about this. Consider Jesus, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. So he wants you uh, to live in such a way that you bless others and bring encouragement to others. Margaret and I went to uh, one of these singspirations they used to have in Birmingham. I mean, these great big singings. And uh, we would sing congregational songs. We'd hear the great... Uh, Uh, singers of the day and I remember one guy he came out first and he sang How Great Thou Art he was Jerome Hines who was a a bass opera singer with a metropolitan New York Metropolitan Opera and uh, you know I didn't think of myself as liking opera but I loved that guy's song I mean he his, his voice just boomed everywhere reverberated all over that vast building and you felt like you were in the presence of God I mean this guy had a gift he touched all of us as he's saying how great thou art and then uh sometime later I was in the dentist office and you know what you do in the dentist office or doctor's office you kill time. And I saw a magazine there that had Jerome Hines on the cover and an article about him inside. So I turned over there and I read a little bit about this man. And I found out, yeah, he is a Christian. Of course, I knew that from his inspiration. But he said that before every performance, not just a religious performance, not just in church, but every performance... He offers it to God before he goes on stage. He said, I believe that God has given me this voice. And I want to use it first of all and foremost to honor God who gave it to me. And then I want to go out there and sing and bless people. And he said, and when I sing, I feel the pleasure of God. And what I want to say to you is if you will find out, if you will discover What God put you on this planet to do and give yourself 100% wholeheartedly to doing that, you will experience the pleasure of God. Now, for different people, it's different things. But figure it out. It may take you some time and, uh, and, and your church helps in that. But figure out, why did God put me here? What does He want me to do? And then go all out for it and then just see where it gets you and see how God blesses you and those around you. We're talking about remembering the others and running the race and rallying around Jesus, making Jesus the center of your life. That answers our question. In light of the great sacrifices that have been made for our freedom, how then should we live? This is how we should live. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for 
dying on the cross. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins. If there's anybody here who's carried a whole baggage of sin around, weighed down, not knowing what to do, I pray that they will understand that they need to come to you, look to you, because you died for that sin. You'll forgive it, and you'll give them a new life, eternal life. And I pray that that will happen today in someone's life. And God, those of us who are believers, have been for years, help us to rededicate ourselves to living this kind of life that says that we believe in Jesus and we appreciate what those who've gone before us have done. Help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our invitation?